Restoration Church, will you just put your hands together and let's celebrate everything that Jesus has done, everything that he's going to do, everything that he wants to do. And uh, man, I am so glad to have you all here joining us together. My name is Nate Gagney, and I'm the lead pastor of Restoration Church. I've had the privilege of being uh, part of the pastoral staff here for, uh, I think, like almost 19 years, and uh, been part of the, the church here and part of the pastoral staff. Uh, happy Easter, and uh, if you've, you know, if uh, you're new to Restoration Church, we're having services today in Dover, in Milton, in Plymouth, and anywhere that someone's joining us online. So uh, likely even on other continents. So we're, we're celebrating together and celebrating everything that Jesus has done. Uh, it, is, uh, it is a great opportunity for me every single week to open the Bible and to teach God's word and to just give people an opportunity to hear who Jesus is, to hear about what he's done, and, and, and to have the opportunity to say, all right, that is for me. That, that there's something that Jesus has done that he's offering me. And to have that opportunity to share that with you and to give you the opportunity to receive that. When we open the Bible, one thing that we're doing is we're not just looking, we're not just looking at Jesus as a historical figure. We don't talk about Jesus the same way we talk about Abraham Lincoln or the, the same way we talk about Colonel Sanders or whoever your historical hero is. We're talking about someone who changed everything forever. That when on Easter Sunday, what we celebrate is Jesus who was dead, who rose again. He was dead. He was placed in the tomb. It was sealed up. The plan was for the body to be decomposed. And according to Jewish tradition, that when the body was decomposed, that the bones would then be put into a separate box. And that box would be buried until they, it would be buried as they would await the return of the Messiah, the, the second coming. But interesting thing happened is that they didn't have to go in, you know, three months later, however long, a year later, and take the bones to open another spot for the tomb. As those bones walked out of that tomb on their own, fully alive. We celebrate that. And the, and the reason Jesus is different than any other historic figure is because when he rose again in that moment, he didn't just come back alive with some miracle. He didn't die again a few years later. No, he defeated death forever. In that moment when he walked out of that tomb, he never died again. So when we say, and maybe you've heard this before in church, he's our risen king. He is still alive. And this morning, 
We want to share with you about how it really is, but also we want to show you how powerful he is. We want to show you how amazing he is. We want to show you how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, how much he knows about you, how much he wants you, how able he is and how powerful he is to forgive you, to change you, to transform you, to change you, your family, your families for generations. We want to show you that as we share God's word today. Well, listen, let's, let's talk and let's give a little bit of background because um, even if you've been in church for a long time, there's a few details of Jesus' life that you may have missed. And one of the things that we misunderstand about Jesus is because of our celebrity culture, we kind of think that Jesus was in that, that he, that he was um, that he was a celebrity, that he kind of looked like a Hollywood movie star or like a professional athlete. But one of the things about Jesus that maybe we don't recognize is that as he lived his life, as he was born, it says he humbled himself. He, he didn't come in any fanfare. He didn't pick a rich family. He didn't come, uh, you, you know, into a mansion or a palace or a kingdom. He came in very just humble throughout. So when he was born, he was born without a, lot of, uh, without a lot of people knowing. They told some shepherds, God told some shepherds, he told some wise men, but the rest of the world really had no idea that it happened. And when he was born, he was born in, in, a, in, a, in a, a place where they kept animals. He was born in an animal feeding trough. That was what they used as his crib because he was, again, from his earthly parents were people who 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 were just beginning their life together, they didn't have a lot. And he just lived, much like probably you grew up. Just a dad who worked a job. His dad, his earthly father was a carpenter and, and a stay-at-home mom. And he learned the Jewish faith and, and went to Jewish school. And as he got older, he worked in the family business. His earthly dad passed away. And so as the oldest kid, he took care of his mom and took care of, of his earthly siblings. But one thing about this in, in the scripture, you know, that he was kind of celebrity, we think of Jesus, maybe in, in the mental image that comes to our mind is a Jesus of the movies, you know, makeup, good looking, uh, but that's not what it says in the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 53, this scripture talking about the Messiah that would be to come, it says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. There was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. If you're familiar with the Bible, there was a, there was a king of Israel named Saul. And Saul became famous mostly, one, because he was the first king, two, because he spent a decade of his life trying to kill the next king, King David. But Saul, when it talks about Saul, Saul stood a head above everybody else. It was like, this guy looked like a linebacker. I want to follow him. So they picked him based on his appearance. But Jesus, he, he just shatters everything that we think he should do or should be or, or that we would think, well, if he's king, if he's God, he's going to be like this. And this was one of the things. He just, he was just regular. He was just regular. Speaking of having no beauty, I want to share with you, just before we get too serious, I want to share with you some pictures of the pastoral staff that I found on the internet. The great thing is that 
because most of the staff started using Facebook while they were teenagers, it's pretty easy to find some bad pictures. If you're here in the Dover location, I actually found a combo picture of Pastor Rob and Pastor Jeremy to share with you. You wouldn't think that a church would actually hire these guys. You know, it, I, you know, much in that same way. I'm surprised no one's come and flipped over the TV yet, or like sabotaged the program. Um, when Jesus came again, he, Jesus had. If we were to take him pictures of Jesus as a middle schooler, he would have looked like every other middle schooler. Now I've got this picture of Pastor Stephen. We don't want to leave him out. And uh, this is Pastor Stephen when he weighed 65 pounds, I guess. I've got also a picture of Pastor Andrews in the Milton location. And that, just everything about this screams Milton. Look at it. He's showing off his little burger candy. Poor Pastor Andrew. And I know what you're thinking. Like, oh, Pastor Nate, do you have any pictures of, this, of the pastor's wives? Listen, I would never do that. I would never, ever show you a picture of one of the pastor's wives. But listen, I understand, all right? If we're going to be fair here, I understand. I know where I am in the, I know where I am in the social standards of this world. And according, I understand, I am the ugliest staff member and I have the, I was the ugliest kid. I understand that I accept that and I am confident God can use me anyways. And so I don't want to put them out. I want to show you the worst picture of me in my entire life. This is me at my eighth grade graduation. <laughs> and uh, I was about six inches shorter. I weighed the same amount as I do now. And uh, that that person. That guy, if you wonder, like, why is Pastor Nate, well, I don't understand why Pastor Nate would ever deal with insecurity. <laughs> now listen, after Jesus started doing, you do this before I go sabotage the ProPresenter computer. You better change that off. <laughs> after Jesus started doing miracles, people began to recognize him. And, and a lot of people, they weren't, under, they were like, okay, I People are whispering, hey, this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one that's prophesied about in Scripture. And people are like, I just don't know. It doesn't really look like much. But he started doing these miracles, and people begin, just word begin to spread. People are showing up. And he, so he shows up to preach somewhere, and it'll be five, 6,000 people there. He's like, hey, we gotta, I got to go rest. He, they, they get in a boat, they travel across the Sea of Galilee to get to the other side, there'd be five or 6,000 people there waiting. Boats that would be following him, and he had a hard time finding places to isolate. And even in a time when there wasn't cameras or social media, everybody heard about him and where it began to spread. And, and just huge crowds of people were following him. Now, last week we talked about Palm Sunday, and so people hear Jesus is showing up into Jerusalem. Here we go. Here we go. This is what has been prophesied. The Messiah comes into Jerusalem. He's going to overthrow the political system. He's going to overthrow the religious system. And we are going to enter into these promised days that we've read about and that we've studied in Scripture. 
Anyway, we talked about last week, but he came in. They had a huge parade, a huge celebration for him. And then he, what happened? He, a few days later, the people who hated him got enough people against him that they ended up arresting him illegally, arresting him in the middle of the night, having this, shot, this kind of shady trial with, amongst the Jewish leadership in someone's home under the cover of darkness where there couldn't be riots against them. Then they bring him before the Roman government, who, who the Jewish religious government brings him before the Roman government and says, all right, we can't execute him, but you can. We're asking you. He's a criminal to us. We've had our trial. We need you to execute him. And the guy in charge, he began to understand, I don't think this guy has committed a crime, but he's got a job to keep peace over the area he's governing he doesn't want to lose his job. He doesn't want to get in trouble. And so he decides, I'm, going to, I'm just going to give this guy a beating, a beating he doesn't deserve, but a beating that is going to help me keep my job. What we maybe don't understand about that beating that Jesus received is that he was horribly disfigured by it. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, it says, many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. A skin hung off his body. Um, people at that point knew who he was, but they couldn't even look at him and even begin to believe that it was the same person. It was unrecognizable. I want to read from you in John chapter 20, because that was not the end of the story. That was not the end of his legacy. That was not the end for those who had put their hope in him. And that was not the end for us. But he hung on that cross and they had beaten him so badly that uh, an execution, a torture um, on, on the cross, they anticipated it taking sometimes a couple of days. People would hang up there on that cross before they would so, slowly drown from their lungs filling up with fluid, but he didn't even make it through a whole day. They hung him on that cross early in the morning, about mid-afternoon, he was dead. And, but that Sunday morning, as his disciples came to, as we would do, to, to pray and remember someone who were mourning, Maybe to ask for forgiveness because remember, they, a lot of them abandoned him. When he hung on that cross, it was his mom and a few of, the, of the, uh, the, the women who were followers of him. But only one of his 12 disciples was there at his execution, John. The rest had scattered. They, they became fearful. They ran away. So I'm sure they were showing up to the tomb to say, hey, forgive me. To ask questions like I thought... I thought, you were, I thought you were God. I thought you were the one, but yet they killed you. Asking all these questions on Sunday morning when they show up, well, he's not there. And I want to read that account to you. It says, Mary, this is, uh, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is an, another woman named Mary who, whose life had been changed by Jesus. She's standing outside the tomb crying, and she, as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb she saw two white-robed white angels, one sitting at the head and the other sitting at the foot. 
of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. Her assumption is someone stole the body. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there, just outside of the tomb. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? I love this right here. She, she thought he was the gardener. I mean, she, spent a, she spent three and a half years of her life following Jesus, being part of that inner circle, learning and being trained by him. And as he stood before her three days after he had been dis, so horribly beaten, she didn't recognize him. And he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't in that beaten state anymore. She said, sir, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Like, give me, give me back the body of the one I love. Allow me to, to bury him again. Mary, Jesus said. And when he said that, all of a sudden she knew. She cried out to him, Rabbi, Rabbi which is Hebrew for teacher. She went to go grab onto him. He said, hey, don't cling to me. I haven't yet ascended to the father, but go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Something very amazing happened. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. He wasn't recognized by someone who followed him for the last three years you know what as we're in service today maybe he's been unrecognizable to you you just haven't even you haven't been aware of who he is you haven't been aware of what he could do you haven't been aware of what he's done maybe in your friends and your family so there's a couple of things that Mary Magdalene that was going on and we'll just talk through this very quick she didn't recognize the miracle that was happening. And maybe even there's a miracle happening right now that you don't recognize. She's in the, she's in the tomb. Jesus is not there because he's alive. She doesn't recognize that. She's talking to angel, angels. She doesn't really recognize that. She's so overcome by her grief and so overcome by her problems. She doesn't recognize the miracle that she's right in the middle of. Listen, for you this morning, there are some of you who are in church today and you just begin to stop and pause and recognize that's a miracle. <laughs> because for some reason you had said, I'll never go to church again. For some reason you've lived your whole life and you've never been to church before, but here you are. That there, that's a miracle. You're in the midst of a miracle happening in your own life. And I want you to pause and just recognize that. Second thing is, she didn't recognize the opportunity that was right in front of her. Maybe you don't recognize the opportunity that was right in front of you. She goes to exit that tomb. She's trying to find someone. The person she's trying to find is right in front of her. And if you've ever been, it's like playing hide and go seek and you find someone hiding in the closet and you say, hey, I'm playing hide and go seek. I'm trying to find people who are hiding. Do you know where any of them are? They're like, no. And you shut the closet door and you keep on going. Like, you could have just tagged them. Do you know the rules of the game? So you're trying to find, maybe you're trying to find a God, maybe you're trying to find freedom, maybe you're trying to find forgiveness, maybe you're trying to find healing, and there's this something in your life that you've been looking for, and what you maybe haven't recognized is 
is right here. It's right in front of you. The things that you've been praying for, the things that you've been wondering about, the things that you needed freedom from, God is here now. The prophet Ezekiel said this, speaking, God had given him something to share in in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse number 26. God says this through Ezekiel. He says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. This is a promise of God to each of us. Mary, she didn't, she began to talk with Jesus. She didn't recognize who he was. Jesus was talking to her. Who are you looking for? He knew. Why are you crying? He knew. She didn't recognize who was speaking to her. She says, hey, you know, when he's like, hey, Mary, all of a sudden she realizes, she's like, I thought you were the gardener. Listen, you've been feeling something all morning. From when that first song hit, maybe even when you pulled in the parking lot, there's one part anxiety, one part like, I don't even know what I'm feeling. As the music began to play this morning, you shed a tear and you're like, you know, this is not Stevie Wonder. Why am I crying? You haven't been able to recognize what's going on. Listen, what you haven't been able to recognize is who's talking to you. It wasn't the music speaking to you. It wasn't the, the guitar solo speaking to you. It was God speaking to you. It was Him Something inside, it was during the music, during this message, something inside, you saying, hey, follow me. Something inside saying, Jesus, could you? Jesus, would you really? It's him speaking to you, drawing you to himself. You want to believe in him, but you haven't recognized that it's his voice and you, you're thinking it's your ideas, it's your voice, it's your thoughts. It is him speaking to you. The last thing for Mary is she didn't recognize the message she was carrying. And If you're someone, even if at the beginning of service, you made the decision to follow Jesus and maybe it was 10 years ago or 40 years ago, you have a testimony of meeting him to share with other people. You have a testimony of saying, I have seen him. People told me it was fake. People told me it wasn't real. People told me it was a crutch. People told me it's for weak people. People told me that uh, all these things about why, I, why Jesus wouldn't help me, why he wasn't real, why I shouldn't even consider him. But, but I met him. He changed my life. He's forgiven me. And you have that message to share with other people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, who belongs to Jesus, has become a new person. The old life has gone, a new life has begun. I want to invite you to close your eyes. You don't have to. But we're going to pray together. And it's an invitation. It's an invitation from me, but I want you to recognize more it's an invitation from God. 
It's an invitation from Jesus to allow him to bring forgiveness, to allow him to bring transformation, to allow him to adopt you. And for his God to be your God and his father to be your father in this moment. I want to pray for you. And I know we're, I know we're joined in at a bunch of locations. But it's a simple prayer. It's a simple prayer. And you don't have to put into these exact words. I'm just trying to get you to express what's going on inside of you right now. And you can pray it right now. Maybe you even prayed something similar right when service started. You can pray it tonight. But you just feel this is what I need. God wants this for me. You say, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I receive you. Jesus, today, I choose to follow you. In that simple prayer of saying, all right, I believe that you're God's son. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. I believe that you forgive me and would give me eternal life. We didn't even get to talk about that, but this understanding of heaven and, and eternity and, and having no fear of, of death, of the future, or of ever having to stand before God. Forgiveness. Jesus, I pray for everyone in our services today that some have thought of you as nothing more than a gardener. I pray today they'd recognize that you've been calling out their name. And when they hear you speak to them, they will respond like Mary did. Oh, it's, it's you. It's you, God. receive you and be changed by you and be forgiven by you and they carry this great message of Jesus risen to their friends and service with them to their family even dinner tonight they carry that message Jesus thank you for your salvation thank you for your forgiveness thank you for the cross Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, for loving everyone here, loving everyone in our locations, everyone online. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior and being our God. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I want to invite you to stand. We. We end our services together singing. So we're going to sing. We're going to sing about Jesus, giving him glory and praise before we go and uh, continue celebrating today. Let's sing. Will we lead us? Let's sing Jesus out one more time.